important. All right, enough of that. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4 and get into our message tonight. So we're getting the technology up and running, good to go. All right, so we're going to be talking tonight about the three days and the three nights that Jesus was, thank you, Bethany, three days and three nights that Jesus was in the tomb. But was he literally in the tomb? Well, his body was, we know that much. But uh, after the death of Christ, did he go anywhere? Did his, uh, did, uh, his spirit, so to speak, his soul uh, that he had, did it stay in the grave or did, it get to, did he do some moving around? Well, we'll take a look at that tonight. And uh, let's go to chapter 4 of Ephesians. And like I said, we'll go to a couple other passages as we study this tonight. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. Um, well, let's start with verse 11 and keep it. Actually, I messed up. How about verse 7? I'm looking in the wrong place here. Chapter 4, verse 7. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself, speaking of Christ, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we, Christians, should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But, and here's one of our favorite verses, speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Father, I pray now that as we open up this passage and as we look at some other companion passages, that, Father, we might understand what took place when the precious Lord Jesus went to the cross, when he willingly gave up his spirit, so to speak, what happened to Jesus at that point until we saw him bodily resurrected three days later. Father, I pray that you'd instruct us on this, help us to understand it, to learn from it, be challenged and motivated by it, and we'll give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So three nights, three days, where did Jesus go? So uh, again, we talked a bit about the crucifixion this morning and a couple accounts. And uh, where, where did Jesus go? What happened? Well, everyone is very familiar with the, with the crucifixion narrative, the account of what took place. Uh, this, by the way, is an extremely interesting slide. And it's a very rare slide as to what's taking place here. If you'll notice where the temple is and the direction in which it is facing, you'll see the cross across the Kidron Valley up on the, basically right to the Mount of Olives. Now, I'm going to tell you right now that if you go to Israel, that is not where they put the site of the crucifixion. It's not it. 
They take you over to another place. I'm going to quote from Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, who, of course, was one of my mentors. Loved him. He's with the Lord, if you don't know that name. Dr. DeYoung had made a very strong statement that the crucifixion of Christ had to have taken place basically somewhere up on the Mount of Olives where you could see the veil of the temple when it was torn in two. The place where if you go to Israel, they take you, you can't even see the temple, which of course doesn't exist now, but you can't see the Dome of the Rock from that position. So it's very interesting. And I think he, uh, he was on to something. But uh, this is interesting. This, I just found this picture a, a couple days ago. I didn't know anyone like it existed. Uh, but it's actually, according to uh, Scripture, it's got that, that makes a whole lot of sense as to where they put the crosses. Now, that was free of charge. It's not part of the message. But uh, it's just interesting. All right, so we, we know the narrative uh, regarding Jesus being on the cross, the two individuals that were crucified with him. We understand that uh, he was crucified, he died, was buried for three days, which is where we're going to pick up. All right, so Ephesians chapter 4, and again, we're going to skip around a bit here, but we're going to show you things that Scripture points out that the Lord Jesus did while his body was in the grave. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So we're talking about gifts that have been given to the church. And now we're going to revert back to the crucifixion to find out how that took place. Verse 8, therefore he says, when he, speaking of Christ, ascended on high. Now here's an interesting statement, and one which the uh, Again, uh, Sunday school, we got into some controversial things. This is another one of those things that's a little bit on the controversial side. The Bible says he, speaking of Christ, led captivity captive. Well, what does that mean, led captivity captive? Now, this is actually a quote from the Old Testament. What does it mean he led captivity captive? Well, the Old Testament actually deals with a battle that had just been won, and that which was won, the spoils that were won, uh, the, the soldiers that had uh, been captured were then brought out into the public square, and uh, there was a rejoicing time. He led captivity captive and, gifts, uh, and gave gifts to men. Now, this is not speaking of that incident. We're talking about something that Jesus ascends up to heaven, and what does he do? He leads that which is captive, captive. We need to figure that out, and I think we'll... We'll get that tonight. And then after he led captivity captive, what did he do? Well, he gave gifts to men. And if you recall the passage, we're talking about multiple gifts that God gave to what group of people? You, the church age, all right? So keep that in mind. We'll, we'll start going through the concepts. So here's what's taking place. Therefore, he says, when he ascended. Now, when did Jesus come to earth? Has he been here more than once? Has he been here more than once? No. no, all right? So physically, Jesus comes at the time we call Christmas. He comes here as the, as the babe and uh, uh, grows up, and then now he's going to, as we're doing this week, the Passion Week, he's crucified. He gives his life to pay for our sins. And uh, he's crucified. So now what takes place? Well, was Jesus resurrected from the dead? How many days did Jesus spend on this earth before he ascended up to heaven? 
40 days, all right? And uh, again, actually, if we go back here to the picture, uh, this, this technically would be the Mount of Olives. Now, you just keep going up the Mount of Olives, and you get to what's called the Mount of Ascension, where Jesus was basically went up to heaven from, from Acts chapter 1. All right, so here he's talking about he ascended on high. Okay, so here's our first clue. So I've got the, uh, the cross, and 40 days later, what happens? He goes back to heaven uh, where he would then stay and is staying until he comes back to get us. All right, Ephesians 4 and 9 now, it gives us a little another clue. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean that Ooh, he also did what? He first, which means before he ascended, he did something else. He de first descended into the lower parts of the earth. All right, so let's start dissecting this, see where we get to. So if we go back to our chart, we go to the red arrow here. He also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. Now, what, how do you define the lower parts of the earth now? So we, we understand at a minimum from this passage, we know that Jesus was bodily present on this earth. If you're a Christian, you believe that or you wouldn't be here tonight. So every single one of us that, that's put our faith and trust in Christ, we're in a Christian church that believes in the cross behind me, that Christ went to it. He had to come down from heaven in order to go on that cross. So he first descended, but is that the totality of what this verse is saying? All right, so we're going to get a, a little bit deeper now. Now, there's people in here that have the King James Version, New King James Version. Some of you might have other uh, uh, versions of the Scriptures tonight. When you're looking at multiple passages, specifically the Old and New Testament, there's two words that, especially in the King James Version, are translated hell. The New King James uh, uh, doesn't do that. It uses other words uh, when it's appropriate. Now, there is the word for, for hell or Gehenna or Tartarus, uh, but we're talking about Sheol from the Old Testament and Hades from the New Testament Greek. So what we're looking at when we're talking about when someone dies, where do they go? Now, some will say, well, an unbeliever immediately goes to hell. Well, based on the version of your Bible, that might be what it says, but quite frankly, that's not quite there yet. We're looking at the grave, the temporary place where unsaved people go before the great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15. So if someone dies, let's just go before the cross now. If someone dies before the cross and they're an unbeliever, where do they actually go? Well, we're going to go in a few minutes to Luke chapter 16, and it'll tell us exactly where they go. If a believer died before the cross, where does that believer go? And again, Luke 16 will give us the next clue as to where they go. Now, what do we have here? It says he, speaking of Christ, ascended. But wait a minute, what did he do first? The first thing he did was he descended into the lower parts of the earth again. Are we talking about the place of the dead? Are we talking about Sheol and Hades? Or do we have some more clues that help us understand where he went? All right, well, we've got to go outside of the book to get a little more information. So let's go to 1 Peter for a moment. 
First Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins. Can we agree that's the crucifixion? Okay. The just for the unjust, that he, speaking of Christ, might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh. All right. Did Jesus Christ have a physical body? Absolutely he did. And what happened to that physical body when they put him on the cross and they crucified him? That physical body died willingly. Christ gave it up. So he put to death in the flesh but made alive by the Spirit. So when we look at how did Jesus get resurrected, well, it was through the power of the Holy Spirit. God raised him up. And by the way, uh, and we just talked about... uh, Amber's grandfather that just passed away. Now, he's a believer. So when you're absent from the body, what happens? You're present with the Lord. The great thing about the first fruits of the resurrection, the first, if you will, Jesus when he is resurrected permanently, by the way, and this this is a whole other message, but did people die in the Old Testament and get resurrected before Christ? Did people die and get resurrected? Anybody know? The answer is yes. People died and were resurrected. How about let's just how about Lazarus? Did he die? Was he resurrected? Uh, okay, but wait a minute. Were they resurrected and that was it? They stayed alive for the rest. I mean, they never died again. The answer is no. They died again. Okay, and, and I always use this one. And I, there's a, a whole plethora of individuals that were died in between the Old and the New Testament, but they didn't die to stay alive. They, they died again. Now, only two went up to heaven without dying. Who are those? Enoch and Elijah, all right? Uh, that's it. But uh, yes, other folks have died, and I, and I like, this is the easiest way to illustrate it because it, it's a little baffling. Well, wait a minute. If they're resurrected, how come they didn't go straight to heaven? Well, can I, I'd like to take you to Lazarus's home today. So let's all get in a bus. Uh, we'll head down to the airport, fly over to Israel, and let's go to Lazarus' house. He should be there today, right? No, he's not there today because he died. All right, so when we're looking at the resurrections, when God miraculously brought uh, people back to life, or the little girl who died and gets brought back to life, or the Old Testament where they throw a, a body on Elijah's tomb and it comes back to life, those people died again. So that wasn't a permanent resurrection. Jesus Christ was the first resurrection. He died, was buried, came back to life. Will he ever die again? No. So when you die, what's going to happen? That's it. When you die, your soul, your spirit immediately goes up to heaven, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And then eventually that old body will be resurrected and be given the glorified body, 1 Corinthians 15. 50 to 54 where God says behold I tell you a mystery we shall not all sleep or die but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling nanosecond of an eye we'll be given those glorified bodies so that's to come all right well let's get back to this Christ also suffered once for sins right behind me is the the reminder the cross the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also, here we go now, here's another clue, he, Jesus, went and preached to the spirits, where? In prison. So what did he do? He, uh, 
he 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 uh, went down to the Milwaukee County Jail, the Racine County Jail, or the Kenosha County Jail, and he preached to folks in jail. Is that what he's talking about here? No, that's not what he's talking about. By the way, a jail is different than a prison. Lewis can help us out on that. But uh, uh, the prison system is different than the jails. That, again, is just doesn't mean anything for what we're studying, but I just threw it out there. All right. So he went and he preached to the spirits in prison. Where's the prison at? He's going to tell us. Verse 20. Who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few... That is, eight souls were saved through water. All right, so here's the next clue. He hasn't ascended yet. He, has, he hasn't uh, been resurrected yet. Now he's preaching somewhere in some quote-unquote prison to folks that were, if you will, judged during the Noahic flood. Well, let's see what we got. I'm going to give you the graph just to illustrate it, then we're going to figure out what he's talking about here. All right, so what do we have? So he says he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? And what do we just read? Who did Jesus go to talk to? Who was he preaching to? Well, look down at that brown box because that's where it tells you it's the spirits in prison. Well, who are these spirits in prison that Jesus is talking to? Well, let's go to verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, in whom also he went and preached to the spirits in a prison. Now, we're going to go to uh, uh, two other verses in just a moment here because we're going to find out who these individuals are. What's going to be preached in a place where there's, where, where does redemption take place? After you're dead or before? It takes place before. If we're talking about, hint, hint, we are, if we're talking about angels that rebelled against God, do they have a second chance? They don't. So we're going to see as we go through two, actually three passages in just a moment, that the individuals that Jesus literally is preaching to our spirits in a prison, and now we need to figure out who they are. Genesis chapter 3, we actually talked about this a few weeks ago. So uh, uh, Genesis 3.14, we're talking about the time of the uh, uh, judgment that's going to take place, the fall of man and the subsequent judgment on everyone. So the Lord God said to the serpent, now who's the serpent? Again, apocalyptic style writing that God used symbols to give a literal truth. So he defines who the serpent is in two different spots in Revelation, Revelation 12 and 20. So the Lord God said to the serpent, who's the serpent? It's Satan, the devil. The serpent of old, Satan, the devil. Revelation tells us that because you have done this, you, Satan, are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Now here comes the first giving of the gospel, Genesis 3.15. And it says, I will, God's talking now, put enmity between you and the woman. Who's the woman? Who's going to bear Jesus? Mary, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed, in other words, those who choose to follow Satan, and the seed of those who follow Christ. He, 
Jesus will bruise your head, Satan. Has Satan's head been bruised? Has it been smashed? Well, you say, well, wait a second. Let me think about that. Does Satan still exist today? Does Satan still have a lot of power today? The answer is yes. But we're going to see how that's going to end. But Satan positionally was put in his place when Jesus went to the cross. And we're going to see how that plays out. Uh, It says, he shall bruise your head, Satan. But, yes, you shall bruise his heel, the crucifixion. You see, Jesus was bruised, and Isaiah 53 talks about it. And and he he was bruised, he was hurt, he, he gave his life in his death, burial, and resurrection. But did he stay in the grave? Uh, no, he rose victorious, and uh, that remains today. All right, now we're getting a bunch of pieces, and it's like all these pieces is like a big giant puzzle, uh, and we got to get all the puzzles put together so all this makes sense. So we're going to start putting that puzzle together now. Revelation chapter 20, I just want to make it very clear how Satan's head was bruised severely. The devil, Satan, the serpent of old, who deceived them, and this is future now, we're Revelation 20. This hasn't happened yet. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night for how long? Forever and ever. All right? So there's coming a day, which is yet future, and uh, for those, uh, and I know we have some visitors here, and I'm not sure who understands or doesn't the prophetic timeline, but here's where we're at today. So bear with me for two seconds as I just kind of very basically give where we're at. All right, so the easiest division we can come from is Genesis up until Malachi is the Old Testament. Pretty much everybody here gets that. The New Testament, we start with Matthew and go through Revelation. Well, in the Old Testament, specifically after Genesis 12, we start the beginning of the Jewish people, the Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew people, the children of Israel. So you have Abraham, Isaac, then Isaac has Jacob, whose name is changed to Israel. And we start the Jewish people. Genesis 1 through 11, you only have Gentile people for the first 2,000 years of history, Genesis 1 through 11. Genesis 12, the Jewish people begin to be formed through the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now it takes place. We now get into where we're into Jesus Christ comes. Of course, in the Gospels, we talk about the things we've been talking about this week, the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. So we now go from where we just have Gentiles and this big massive piece of history 2,000 years from AD 2 or uh, BC I'll get it 2,000 BC up until Christ comes where you have Jews and Gentiles but everything is basically under the Jewish system Jesus Christ comes and what does he do to the law well he fulfills it the Mosaic law is fulfilled and abolished at that time we now do how many of you file the 613 commandments in the Old Testament law well, nobody. Uh, and the Jews couldn't fo- do it either. They kept falling on their face. And that's why we talked about this morning the blood sacrifices that the priest did to do what? To forgive sin or to cover it? Cover it until who came? Jesus and did the once for all sacrifice 
to pay for our sins, not just cover it. All right, so the devil deceived them, was cast in a lake of fire and brimstone where the beast, the Antichrist. Again, now we're not going to get into Revelation, uh, but we know from multiple scriptures that the person being spoken about here, the beast, is literally the second person of what we'll call the satanic trinity. Satan mimics, and okay, those of you that know this, who does Satan mimic in scripture? God the, think of the trinity, God the Father. Then you have the Antichrist who mimics whom? Christ, okay? And again, this all comes out of Revelation 13. And then you have the third person mentioned here, the false prophet who acts as what as a, a counterfeit for whom? Holy Spirit. Again, and I always go, always go to Revelation 13 where it spells all this out. If, if, you, if you don't read anything else out of Revelation, read Revelation 13, which talks about the future one world government, one world economy, which is the one that's got people buzzing right now. It's like, are we headed that direction? Yes, we're going to head that direction. I trust we're going to be out of here before it gets there, though, because it can't really fall into place until the last half of the trip when it will be the one world economy, when uh, the, uh, Satan will demand, the Antichrist will demand that everyone on earth will receive a mark in their forehead or on their hand. We're nowhere near that yet. It's a minimum of the rapture has to take place. The first three and a half years of the tribulation have to take place. And then that mark will be mandatory. All right? So, but what happens? We go through the seven-year tribulation period. Okay, again, Old Testament, the New Testament under Christ, the, the gospel, the grace of God has existed for 2,000 years and still ticking. Uh, we're not out of here yet, so it's still going to be taking place. The next event is uh, we go up to heaven at the event called the rapture. Then that seven-year tribulation period where the Antichrist takes his position as leading this world. After that seven-year period, who comes back to this earth bodily and stays here for a bit? Who comes back? Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah, and you do too, Revelation 19, 11 to 21. Jesus mounts up on a white horse. We all do. We're up in heaven in glorified bodies. We'll be coming back after the seven-year tribulation period. And what's going to happen? We will rule and reign with Jesus for how long? 1,000 years, Revelation 21 to 7. All right, so we have the beast and the false prophet. Where are they in Revelation 20? What's their, what's their place? Well, they'll be tormented day and night forever. Where? In the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. Who also is going there besides uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the beast and the false prophet? The Bible makes it very clear this is the, where the Satan himself will spend eternity. It's coming. So did his head get bruised? I mean, it got severely bruised, and uh, he's going to spend eternity with the beast, the false prophet, and all others that refuse to trust Christ and all the demonic angels. But wait, there's more. Second Peter chapter 2. Here we go. We're going to get a little bit more. We're still trying to figure out who is Jesus preaching to in this prison. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to where? Now, the word hell is used there. Now, again, uh, when you look at the translation, when we use that particular word, it's pretty imperative, and that's why we talk about how to interpret the Bible correctly. You've got to look at four things. The history the context, the grammar, which we really need here, and always from a literal standpoint, unless God makes it clear it's a parable, a story, 
uh, or apocalyptic style uh, a prophecy, which always has a specific meaning for the symbolism being used. Well, there's no, no ifs, ands, or buts about what's being spoken about here. So we're talking about a group of angels who their sin was so intense, so horrific, that God locked these individuals up, and they're locked up today but cast them to this place called hell, which is actually the Greek word Tartarus, and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. So there are a group of angels, demonic angels, that so violated what God asked them uh, not to do, they violated it. Well, what did they do? Well, we know where they went, but what did they do? And by the way, this shouldn't be new to a whole lot of folks because we've gone here several times. What did they do uh, to earn this place where they would be locked up? Well, let's go to Jude chapter 6. Or, or, uh, excuse me, Jude only has one chapter. How about verse 6? Uh, Jude 1 verse 6. And the angels, now we're not talking about human beings. He makes it very clear. We're talking about angels who did not keep their proper domain or heaven, but left their own abode. He has reserved an everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of that great day. All right, we're getting more hints and more hints and more hints. So now we've switched gears from talking about humans to talking about a group of angels that did something so sinful that God said, and there are demons that roam the earth today. There just are. But this group of demons were so violated God's principle that he locked them up, if you will, in this prison in chains reserved for judgment of the great day. Well, let's go a little further. Luke 23. So we have, we're going to look at the other side of this now from a human standpoint. What else is taking place? And we've got to understand all these different pieces before we can get the final understanding. Luke chapter 23, we're talking about the crucifixion of Christ and the two criminals that were hung or that were crucified with him. Then one of the criminals who were hanged, blasphemed him or Christ saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. In other words, prove your God by getting me off this cross. I'll believe you if you get me off the cross. Save us. But the other person said, the other criminal that was being crucified with Christ, rebuked him. Basically told him, listen, guy, you're out of line here. Do you not even fear God? Hmm, this guy's having a moment. Uh, He's finally realizing that he's a sinner. He's finally realizing that uh, uh, you're in big trouble, I'm in big trouble, and it's time to fear God and get right with him because we're not going to be here very much longer. Do you not even fear God seeing you are under the same condemnation? You know, first thing happens when somebody comes to Christ, usually, not I shouldn't say the first thing, but many times what happens is they find Christ and all of a sudden, they start wanting to tell somebody else about what Jesus did for them. Uh, and sometimes that goes well, sometimes it doesn't. But here's a guy, he's finally getting the point here. He's, his faith is starting to realize that, uh, man, I messed up. And buddy, you messed up too. And you're picking on the one that can basically take us to heaven. Verse 41, we're being crucified and we indeed justly for we receive the due reward of our deeds. 
But this man has done nothing wrong. Now that's pretty good. They're being crucified. How did he know this? Bible doesn't tell it. But what he did know is that this person that's being crucified is being crucified unjustly. He's done absolutely nothing wrong, and we're getting what we should get. That's a pretty big realization. Then he said to Jesus, here's how we know that he got it. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, I'm going to tell you exactly how it's going to go. And Jesus said to him, I surely, assuredly, I say to you, today, today, you, my friend, will be in paradise. He knew he, he had put his faith and trust in him. He knew he understand, understood who he was. All right, so now we have two different things taking place. He said, you're going to be with me in a place called paradise. Well, what happens to the guy next door to him that uh, didn't get it? All right, let's keep going. Luke 16. There are people that call this a parable or a story. There's zero indicators that it's a parable. Nothing is given in a story fashion. Nothing is said, well, there was, and, uh, uh, and Jesus told a parable. Or somebody tells it. They always tell you when it's going to be a, a symbolic concept. There's nothing like that written here in Luke 16. This is an account of, of a literal event. Verse 19 of Luke 16, we're going to find out now where do people go when they die. It's going to tell us point blank. So there was a certain rich man, and most of you know this account, who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. All right, this guy's got, a, I mean, he's doing well. He's got money. He's got prestige. Life is good. But, verse 20, there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. Now, this is not the same Lazarus that Jesus resurrected. We have another one full of sores, who is laid at his gate. So what do I mean laid at his gate? That means that uh, this guy had a big giant mansion, probably some kind of walled place that he lived in, and uh, somebody would pick him up, they'd throw him at this rich guy's house and hope that he'd give him some money or food or whatever it might be. So, but there's a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who is laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So this guy's in bad shape. Desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, what happened? So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to where? Abraham's bosom. Now, for some of you, you're familiar with this. For others, this could be a brand new concept. What is Abraham's bosom where this guy died and went to? The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments where? In Hades, okay, now we're not in hell now, but he's in a place of torment. What is, what's taking place? And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send that beggar, send Lazarus over here, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. All right, so we've got a rich man who's tormented in flames. We have a beggar who appears to be in a much better place, much better position, to the point where somehow Lazarus is begging, would you send him over here to cool my tongue because I'm tormented in this flame? Now, wait a second. 
This ought to get our attention. If you're here tonight or watching on the internet, I'm going to ask you a question. If you're to die right now, where would you go? And that's good. If you placed your faith and trust in Christ, you will go to heaven. But if you're like this rich man who said, listen, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it what I, uh, I'm going to make it up as I go along. I'll tell you exactly what I think I should do to go to heaven. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to help the poor. I'm going to uh, uh, help old ladies across the street. I'm going to be kind to all people. I'm going to give my employees a big raise or whatever it might be. And they're trying to get to heaven by their good works. If you don't trust Jesus as your personal Savior, God doesn't really care how good you are because all our righteousness is as filthy rags, Romans 3.10. All of sin to come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And, and this beggar understood that. He got it. The rich man did not get it. And now where is he? This is the point I'm trying to make for this person. What is his environment? Is it like, well, we're just kind of, uh, uh, we fall asleep when you die and you just rest there peacefully and life is good rest in peace uh, no where did this guy go it tells us that he is in this place this place called Hades and he's being tormented in flame now is that a pleasant thought it's politically very incorrect most folks don't want to hear this they want to deny it and if I wasn't a Christian I guess I'd want to deny it too but it's real, and it's right here. The Lord tells us. What else? But Abraham said, Son, rich man, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is what? Comforted. Comforted. Think about that. Listen, if you place your faith and trust in Christ and you die, here's a good clue as to how it's going to be. You're going to be what? Comforted. Comforted. I like that. I think you should do. It's wonderful. When we die, we're absent from the body, present with the Lord. And we're going to see how that's going to transpire now based on the resurrection of Christ. Uh, he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. All right, so we're having this little dialogue taking place. Now let's see if we can put this together. All right, looking at this, before Christ died, you have two places where people could go. They could go to the place where the rich man went, which was the, and by the way, and I want to pause here for a minute, is it a sin to be rich? Is it a sin to have money? That's not why he was in Hades burning because he was a wealthy guy. He was in Hades and he was in torments because he never placed his faith in Christ. That's the issue. It has nothing to do with how much money he had to bank, but it just happens to be that God used this particular uh, 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 account to make it clear that the rich man, which many people trust in their riches to get them to heaven, well, you know, I give to the church and I give a ton of money and God ought to take me to heaven. And God says, no, I don't. No. I don't care how much money you give the church. That's never going to get you to heaven. I don't care if you're a pauper and you got uh, the widow's mite is all you got. You put your one penny in the plate. Going to heaven has nothing to do with how much money you have in the bank or how much you give. But here's what happens. Where's the rich man? He's in torment in a place called Hades. Where'd that beggar go? A place called Abraham's bosom. 
good place, a comforting place. Let's keep going here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. We quote this verse all the time. The Bible says, according to the Apostle Paul, we are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be what? Absent from this old corrupt body, decaying body, and to be present with the Lord. All right, so now here's what's going to take place, and we're going to back it up with Ephesians, which we've been reading, and try and put these puzzle pieces together. All right, so after the cross, we're past the line now where the crucifixion has taken place, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. What's going to happen to Hades? Well, nothing's going to happen to it. It's going to stay there. It's the place where people are reserved until the final judgment takes place when they'll be cast into hell forever. And by the way, if you go to Hades, you're not, there's no chance you go to heaven. It's, there's just not. When does the judgment take place? The moment they die? No. It's the temporary holding place for all rejectors of Christ. And does God know who the people are that have and have not received Christ as their Savior? Absolutely. So the unbelievers, like this rich person who refused to come to Christ, they're going to go right to Hades, and then in Revelation 20 at the great white throne judgment is where they will receive their eternal judgment of eternal life in the lake of fire. However, what about the saved folks? So we've got Abraham's bosom, a great chasm, which is the big black spot there, across from a place called Hades. Now, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, according to Pauline uh, a writing, 2 Corinthians 5, 8, that the moment me or you, if when we die, when we, if you place your faith and trust in Christ, bam, we go immediately up to heaven. That place of Abraham's bosom, that temporary holding place, if you will, of those that have put their faith and trust in God as the uh, a person described as the beggar, that's gone. It's eliminated. And you say, well, how do we get to that? Well, let's keep going. Ephesians 4, 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, all right, let's pause. Every single one of you in this room that's a Christian has at least one spiritual gift. Could be administration, could be helps, could be mercy showing, uh, could be teaching, could be acting as a servant and being a helper and, and other things that are spoken about. So everybody's got a gift. Well, when did those gifts get handed out? When did these things take place? Well, according to what we're going to see in the next verse, after Christ ascends into heaven. So it says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. And then what did he do? What did Jesus promise would take place after he went to heaven? He would send whom? He'd send the comforter. Who's the comforter? The Holy Spirit. Who's the one that indwells you today if you're a Christian? The Holy Spirit. Is this starting to make a little bit of sense? Is the puzzle starting to come together here? So what's taking place? Therefore, he says, when he ascended, in other words, at the resurrection and ascension 40 days later, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. All right, so those three days. Where does Jesus go? Well, we know now, based on all the passages went through, he goes to a place called prison where there is a group of individuals which are described in other passages as angels who left their first estate. Now, if we went through the Genesis account, what did those angels do in Genesis chapter 6? 
Well, they possessed, if you will, the body of men, and they had relationships with females. And basically, we've come up with the term, and there's, I mean, there's so much about this out there right now, because it's just they've been a tremendous resurgence, about these giants, these Nephilim that basically were the product of these demonic angels possessing bodies of men and having relations with females. And God said in Genesis, no. Why did the worldwide catastrophic flood take place? For several reasons, but here's a couple of them. One, God said in Genesis 6, the violence on this earth is so terrible, people are so steeped in idolatry that all they think about is that which is wrong and corrupt. We have these Nephilim giants that according to Genesis 6, and again, I know there's some that say, well, that can't take place, that didn't happen. Well, I think Genesis 6 is pretty strong. Jude is, Jude is very strong in this issue. That we have these demonic individuals, if you will, and God says, not on my watch. And he literally wipes out everybody except eight people who put their faith and trust in Christ. I don't know how many hundreds of thousands or millions of people existed. We don't have a record. God didn't give us the record, but he wipes them out. And those angels that didn't keep their first estate, he popped down in prison. Why would Jesus go down there and preach to them? Well, here's, I think, the content of his message. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. When Satan sinned, when you determine angelic beings that you would rebel against God and you would follow the master deceiver, Satan, the devil, the serpent of old, and you bought into his lie, do you understand where you are right now and why? And I want to make it very clear, Jesus might say, that my death now condemns you permanently to this abyss and only the people that place their faith and trust in me will have an eternity with me. You've been judged. You are damned for eternity, never to be released. He didn't go down there to preach the gospel, for there's no gospel for the unsaved angels or the, if you will, the demonic angels. They have no choice to receive Christ after they rebelled. But Jesus goes down, he has a little chat with them, he tells them what time of day it is. It is finished. Your judgment has been secured. You will spend eternity in this awful place called the lake of fire. Well, what else does he do? He leads that which is captive, or the captivity, captive. Well, if all of God's people are, were in Abraham's bosom, here is the contention by a good percentage, if you will, of Bible-believing scholars that when Jesus descended into the lower parts of the earth, he leads captivity captive. In other words, he takes those that were, if you will, in Abraham's bosom, and up to heaven they go. Where are you going to go when you die? All right, straight up to heaven. I mean, we've got documentation of that. So that is the contention as to what he was doing. So we know without a shadow of a doubt, he preaches to the spirits in prison. He leads captivity captive. And then what does he do? Now we're up in heaven. Now what's he want to do? Well, then he's going to do what? He's going to give gifts to God's people uh, and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended. What does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. All right. Now we spent a good 
half an hour trying to explain what all that means. So Ephesians 4.10, He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all things, that he might fill all things. Verse 11, and now he says, listen, here's what, here's what I'm giving to God's people now. Here's, here's to, to the church. But folks, you are the church. Anyone, any, any church that has people in it that are believers in Jesus Christ that have accepted the free gift of eternal life, this is for that church. And folks, this is 2,000 years later, but these are the things that exist. And he himself, Jesus said, gave some to be what? He gave some to be apostles. Now back, of course, during the first century is when the literal apostles existed. Some have said, well, does this apply to the meaning of the word apostle messengers? Some like to say, well, this is our missionaries and others that are sent forth to proclaim God's word. Some prophets, some evangelists, uh, a couple of months ago, we had Michael McCreary come in here with the gift of evangelist. Saw several folks come to Christ uh, uh, that particular day. And some pastors and teachers. Why? Why did God say, I want to give these gifts to the church? Well, here's exactly why. For the equipping of the saints. Now, who are the saints, folks? Is that somebody that, gets, uh, that you get a medal for? No. A saint in Scripture is any person who's placed their faith and trust in Christ. You're a saint. Now, you may not act saintly all the time, but you're a saint. If you place your faith and trust in Christ, you're one of God's people, and by definition are a saint. So he said, listen, I gave these gifts to people. So what? For the equipping of the saints to do what? For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's why I, I, I kind of like to beat on this subject every now and then because it's like, listen, the guy that stands in my position is just one little piece of the church puzzle. I have the privilege of standing up here, opening the Bible, teaching the Word of God. But folks, do you know that there's a whole lot of other stuff that takes place here? And most of you say, oh yeah, well, you know, because we do it. And you're right, you do do it. Who gets the coffee ready? Who's doing the servant work? Who's getting uh, the table set? Who's teaching Sunday school? Who's teaching Awana? Who's counseling those and helping those that are in need? Who's calling up those that are, are, are sorrowful and their hearts are breaking? And, and who calls them? And, and, and who goes to their homes? Well, of course, I do some of that, but there's people all over this room that do the same thing. We're starting that senior citizens ministry. Who's going to be doing that? Folks, I think we've got at least 10 or 12 folks that signed up to take part in getting the, uh, things set up for the senior citizen ministry. And uh, uh, by the way, and we did, well, I should have said something this morning, but again, I wanted to keep it message-oriented. Uh, Josh Steele starts this literally yesterday, uh, April 1st, so he's uh, full-time here now. And you say, well, is he going to get 40 hours of work? Oh, oh boy, is he ever. Uh, <laughs> He has no idea what he got himself into. Um, but anyway, uh, Josh is now on staff. Uh, his ordination will take place in May, and looking forward to that. But uh, wh why? Why do we have uh, 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 all of you that have giftedness and do various things in various ministries? It's for the edifying of the body of Christ. I mean, without you, we'd fall apart. We just would. You can't function. Uh, it edifies the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect, better known as mature person, man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Last few verses and we're done. That we should no longer, Christian, be children 
tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. And here we go. Speak the truth in love. Boy, and that's the, one of the hallmarks of Union Grove Baptist Church, the church that God's love is building. Do we get upset about things? Sure. Do we get uh, uh, things that take place that uh, we want to get mad and angry and, boy, you better do it my way or the highway? Uh, sure, we could think that way, but God says, no, 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 no. Uh, temperate. Ask the Lord to, to, to keep your temper in, in place. Ask Him to help you to understand where other folks are coming from and love people. And, folks, that's the way it's been here for the three years I've been here, and I'm so thankful for that. Speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, which is Christ, from whom the whole body. Folks, what is the body? It's the body of Christ. Who makes up the body of Christ? You do. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you place your faith and trust in Him, you're part of that body, the body of Christ. What does he say about this body? Joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. So I'm a joint. Nathaniel's a joint. Uh, Justin's a joint. Lewis is a, a joint. And I'm not going to go through everybody here, but we're all part of the part of the body. We make it up uh, uh, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Do you see how important your ministry is? Every part. Every person doing what they can. What has God in, uh, blessed you to do? And it's like you do your share, you do your part, and that's how a church functions. Causes, what does it do? Causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now, uh, we could talk about numerical growth, but that's not, I think, the context here. How does the body grow? How do you uh, uh, spiritually become closer to Christ? Well, it's when everybody is doing their part and we all function together and, and the edification is taking place and we're all looking up and focusing on Christ and fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That's how the body grows. We ended this morning with, it's finished. Jesus has done it all. He went to the cross. He paid the entire penalty for our sin. It is all finished. Jesus is crucified. His body is placed in a tomb for three days. But he was awful busy during those three days doing the things that we just rehearsed. We close with this, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12. But this man, Jesus Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Folks, that's where Jesus is today. He's up at the right hand of the Father. For those of you that will die before the rapture, and that could include me, someday if we breathe our last on this earth, absent from the body, present up there, and Jesus will greet us. If we're fortunate enough to live, if you will, until that great event, the rapture takes place, we'll meet him in the air. Are you ready to meet Jesus? Let me ask you this final thing. First Timothy chapter 1 says this. Again, I'm going right back to the beginning of the message. If you died right now, do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt if you died, you go to heaven? Well, the Bible tells us this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This week, We'll remember the crucifixion of Christ. And next Sunday, we're going to have a, I don't know how do you have a party in a service, but we're going to have a party about the resurrection. 
We're going to praise the Lord for the resurrection. We're going to thank God for the resurrection and our resurrection to come. And it's going to be a wonderful time as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. But you can't celebrate the resurrection of Christ if you've never accepted his free gift of eternal life. We close with this. Have you ever placed your faith and trust in Jesus? Do you understand that you're a sinner? We talked about that. Romans 3.23, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. If we got what we deserved, every single one of us would do just as Satan is going to end up with the beast and the false, uh, the false prophet, spend eternity in the lake of fire. God doesn't want you to do that. That's why he did that. He comes down, goes to the cross, Three days in uh, his body's in the grave, raised victorious by the Holy Spirit, proving he was God. And now he said, listen, the final thing is this. You understand who Jesus is? Did you ever receive the free gift? You say, wait a minute, what free gift? You keep talking about this free gift. How about the verse that everyone here and those watching know, John three sixteen? For God so loved the world, each one of us, that he gave his only begotten Son, and here's the gift, that whosoever believes in him, in his death, in his burial, and his resurrection, should not perish or go to hell, but have everlasting life. Have you ever placed your faith in Christ? Have you ever received that free gift? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, I pray now that as we close this study, Oh, God, would you, would you help us to realize all that you've accomplished through your death, burial, and resurrection, including now in this particular age, the moment one of us dies as a Christian, bam, absent from the body and present with you. What a glorious thought. What a wonderful day that will be. But Father, there may be some that uh, uh, we know, maybe some of our friends, maybe a relative that's never placed their faith and trust in Christ, maybe someone even watching or listening tonight, if that's you, I urge you, right there we are, would you, would you finally stop trying to get to heaven yourself? Let's do it the Bible way. God told us exactly what you need to do. It says, for by grace, God's free unmerited gift are you saved, saved from sin, saved from the penalty of sin, and it's not of yourselves, it is the gift of God not of works, lest any person should boast. Take his free gift tonight and receive Jesus as your Savior. For those that are Christians, next week is Easter. Next week you have the opportunity of a lifetime to get folks here that every other day of the year, except maybe Christmas, will not come to a church. I'm going to ask you just why we close. Is there somebody that you know that lives in the area, somebody within driving distance? Someone that you can encourage to come to church next week as we celebrate the resurrection. I guarantee you the gospel will be given. I guarantee you that God will move in our midst. Who is that person or persons that you know that you could get to come here next week? Would you ask the Lord to help you this week? Right there we are. Just ask the Lord, dear God, please, would you help me to reach out to folks I love and care about this week? Maybe it's a person you work with. Maybe it's a person you go to school. Maybe it's a relative that you know and they need Jesus. Would you pray for him this week? Would you invite him? And we'll look forward to some great results. Father, thank you so much for who you are and what you've done. Help us to walk out of here a little bit happier, a little bit more motivated than we walked in. And Father, please, as we remember what you did this week, may our hearts be broken as we realize the suffering and the torment you went through. But may we also rejoice as we realize that your resurrection and overcoming death is our assurance of a place in heaven. Father, seal us in Jesus.